Father God, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we come together to learn about you uh, in Sunday school. Be with the teachers. Give us uh, true and good things to say about you that are uplifting for your people to contemplate. And Lord, be with us uh, as we follow that into worship as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so go with your Sunday school teachers to class. Okay, I'm planning to do Sunday school this morning and next week, and our topic is going to be information, and uh, I'm going to break it into two parts. The first is knowing And the second is living. I did review some of these articles. There are touch points. Um, It's not about this per se, but I think it intersects with some of the uh, articles in the New Horizon about uh, artificial intelligence and such. Um, So for part one, with knowing, I want to talk about how we know what we know what we know uh, that was two things. The second thing being what we know or what we should know. And the Bible as memory. And then kind of round it out with Jesus' growth and wisdom. Uh, and leading that, that will then lead in, it'll set the foundation for part two next week um, where we'll talk about living and look at some scriptural examples of the connection between knowledge and moral action. So that's kind of a roadmap for what we're doing. Uh, there, with, with this New Horizons publication in mind and with this topic of information, the age that we live in has been called the information age. And it makes me think of Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, where a a revelation to Daniel is ended by saying, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall shall increase. And that's the ultimate meaning of that verse isn't that we've arrived. It isn't the coming of the information age. But as as are all uh, eschatological descriptions in Scripture, it's very apt for the world that we see around us now, the world that we're living in. Think, you know, you will hear of uh, wars and rumors of wars. There will be plagues. There will be, And every day we live in the last days, these descriptions are true, and they become truer and truer. And so that uh, apt description, we struggle to find our footing sometimes in the rapidly moving and the rapidly growing ocean of information that we are living in, and it's a time that the modern ways that we are able to travel, uh, to collect information, transmit it, with telecommunications, all um, make this a difficult thing to wrap our minds around, and people today, you'll see on TED Talks and other um, venues with bullhorns, are telling us that this changes the way 
that humans interact with information, uh, with knowledge, uh, and education. All of these things have changed. And so I just wanted to, to look at that a little bit and see uh, what we learn from Scripture as well as from the wisdom of the, the church on some of these topics. So the, the argument we sometimes get from what I'd call the priests of the information age is that we don't need to memorize information anymore. We don't need to stuff info into kids' heads. We need to leave the brain unencumbered, uncluttered, uh, and able to soar kind of boundaryless with imagination so that we can innovate. Uh, and we just need to teach people how to use the tools that are out there and let them go, right? So teach them how to use that internet browser, and then they can go figure everything out. It's kind of like just-in-time um, management, just-in-time inventory management, where you want the warehouse and the shelves to be empty, and you just quickly bring in what you need right then, and you put it to, to work, and you keep that moving very quickly. It's uh, an alluring picture of how we ought to think or, or work, and it even bears some resemblance to how our minds actually work, but it's not correct. The questions, really, that it raises is that how can minds that are so empty evaluate the quality of facts that are provided, and how can an uncultivated mind be sure that the information is categorized and ordered properly? Properly, How can it be free, or when it's so free, how can it keep from transgressing boundaries of rationality and reality? And then finally, how does a mind move from processing information to moral action? That fourth question will be taken up more in part two, but that's kind of a critical piece if you look at uh, artificial intelligence and the information age, and we talk about automation and you know, getting computers to do everything for us, it, it certainly misses this piece of transitioning into moral decision-making and moral action. So in our vocabularies, there's a $10 word that's out there on the edge, epistemology. It's one of those ones that we all hear about. We don't use every day, but we visit it occasionally and talk about it. It means how do we know what we know? But inside of that, how do we know what we know is that phrase, what we know. And I, less frequently, I hear us talking about what we know or what we ought to know. Uh, and that is a big question in the information age as well. Uh, what information, as we're inundated with it, is important for us to know? And so I want to take a look at, first, how we know, and then what we know, or what we ought to know. And in looking at how we know, the typical start for this is to explain a pattern of gathering facts, checking their truthfulness, uh, making sure they're relevant to your topic, making sure you've got all of the relevant facts, and then you put them together with sound reasoning, and you come to some good or proper conclusion, and that's all good and necessary, but I think it actually skips over a part of how we know uh, that you won't be surprised to hear me say, Augustine covers for us in Book 10 of the Confessions. And so we're going to just look for a minute at what, uh, what we learned there from uh, Augustine's contemplations on this. He finds two kinds of knowledge, and I am summarizing. Uh, the first is a kind of knowledge or information that enters into your mind through the gates of your senses. The second is information or knowledge or truth 
that already exists in your mind. An example of the first would be, I'm going to use Gustav Holst's, Holst's, uh, I get the S and the T mixed up sometimes, Uh, Jupiter, the planets. His composition, the planets, Jupiter is one that's probably familiar to your ears because it's been borrowed for a portion of uh, a hymn. It goes like this. Do, 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 Okay. So um, that, that is from Jupiter, and it's, you've probably heard it. Um, it comes into our minds through our ears. It wasn't there before. It was in no one's mind before Holst uh, wrote it, and it's not in your mind until you hear it. But once you hear it, it's now in your mind, and you're able to call it up. And if you're very, very familiar with the composition... In the silence of your mind, you can actually hear the whole composition in its fullness, all of the different instruments and all of the harmonies, right? And then, like I just did, you could bring out uh, and hum a little piece of it, right? Uh, so that's information that, or knowledge that comes into your mind through the gate. But truth claims are different. If you look at a truth claim like, God is love, that uh, that knowledge is not entering into your mind with those words because words change. They sound different in different places at different times uh, and in different languages, but they carry a truth with, or they, they call up a truth that is already in your mind. Proverbs 25.2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. So that's this idea, this proposition I'm making, that there's information that's already in your mind, that you're born with. It's a, uh, it's a bold statement, and it's difficult uh, to... It's not obvious at first, right? It probably is going to take a lot of argumentation, if you doubt it, uh, to convince you that it is correct. But I'm going to use... Uh, an example uh, that might help us start to think about it. I'm not going to exhaustively argue it at this point, but think of a plug, a U.S. standard three-pronged plug. It's useless unless you have the outlet that it goes with. Okay? If you take it on your travels to Europe, it remains useless because the European outlets aren't designed for it to go. But if you've got your hot outlet and your plug, then you can plug that thing in, and the current flows to the lamp, and the lamp shines. The mind works like this as well. It has to be ready to receive information. Uh, It can't just... um, It's a two-way street, like the way that DNA works. You've got all of this information packaged in DNA, but it's not going to be able to do anything unless it hits something that's already been prepared and created for it and is expecting that information. And it can interpret that information, and it can put it to use. The mind is like that. There are things that are already in our minds, uh, in each and every one of our minds. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11b says... uh, are you wanting to read it for me? 311B. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that 
Right, so he has put eternity into our hearts. He has concealed things, and he has said it's the glory of man to uh, search them out. <clears throat> so Augustine calls knowledge, and this is, uh, we're going to try to define a word here so that I don't be, become confusing to you. He defines knowledge that enters the mind, or else is already there, uh, as uh, memory. That's the word he uses for it, memory. So when I'm saying memory for the rest of the lessons, I mean facts, information, experiences that come in through your senses, taste, sounds, feelings, sights, smells. We're going to use memory in the way you're used to hearing it, but also to cover a lot more things. But Augustine also explains the process of thinking or of knowing it is the process of calling up and herding together these memories. And he points out the connection in Latin between the words for herding and for thinking, uh, which happened to give us our English word, cogitate, which means to think. So for Augustine, thinking is the process of herding a flock of memories together and putting them in order. Knowledge is recollection or recollection of memories. This introduces another concept for us because memories are one thing, but we have to name them and put them in order. And so we need names and categorizations or categories uh, that we can use because memories are in our head like the belongings in our house. They can be scattered throughout the entire house, covered in dust, uh, broken down, and there might even be infestations crawling around in that mess, right? Or they can be um, carefully arranged, clean, and in good working order, well-maintained. We know well when we have the right memories organized in the right categories so they can be accessed and ordered quickly so they can be deployed to a right purpose. So that's what we're getting at. Is That is what knowing is. And how we know is, is dependent on what we know. Because the memories and categories are fundamental and they're subject to the noetic effects of sin, which are the effects that sin has had on our mind. The memories that we have can be missing. They can be buried so deep that it's all but impossible to uncover. Uh, they can be fallacious. And so can our categories. They can also be missing, buried, incorrect. Um, as an example, this one is a hobby horse. I'll try not to ride too long. A category in our world that has been completely made up of a whole cloth for the last several decades is the category of student. In all of these people groups we have, our country has dealt with, or the Bible or Christianity has dealt with, if you notice... Sometime in the last 60 or 70 years, maybe a little bit further back, the category of student has shown up. And that one just drives me nuts. But watch for it. You'll, you'll find it. It's not a thing. Um, okay. And, of course, today we have other categories that are being foisted upon us, right? Um, we'll see if they have the staying power of student. Um, Okay, so, so because of the noetic effects of sin, these, the memories and the categories can be 
missing, incorrect, buried. So we got to get to what we should know, what we know, what we should know. And so we go now to John Calvin, who opens the Institutes of the Christian Religion with the assertion that almost all that can be known falls into two categories, that which can be known of God and that which can be known of man. And that's a good starting point for us. Obviously, we're not going to be um, exhaustive in our discussion of what we ought to know, but we'll, we'll hit the highlights if we can. Okay, somehow skipped a page. Um, so in, in saying what can be known is of God and of man. There we go. What are, what are the things uh, that we can know of God? Well, first of all, that there is a God, that he is knowable and that he has revealed himself. These are the classical presuppositions, which, by the way, means these are things that are already in our mind. Okay, so the Vantillian camp, the presuppositionalist camp, is like, whoo, we've got Augustine on our side here. There's things already in our mind. We're winning the argument. And then you've got the R.C. Sproles of the world, the evidentiarists, who think that we need to be able to argue, argue and explain these things. Um, and it turns out, Augustine, I think, explains well what's going on between those two camps. He says, such things as, and I'm inserting, God is knowable, God is, God is knowable, and he has revealed himself, are already in my memory, albeit in the more recondite cellars, so remote and abstruse that it might have been impossible for me to contemplate them had someone's reminder not rescued them. Okay? So... Yes. Knowledge. Yes. 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 It may be buried inside of us, and uh, it is a work of God. First of all, to put it in there. Uh, it's the work of God to uncover it, and some may uncover it in such a way that they feel like they always knew that or it may be uncovered for them in such a way that they feel they've always known it. And others uh, will feel that someone needed to point it out. Uh, Places these happen is your Bible reading and your pastor preaching and telling you God is, right? And it comes into your mind and it penetrates into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and can be pulled up. Ah, this is true. God does exist. Okay. All right, so those, those are the things of man. I'm sorry, of God. The second thing is, uh, or set, is of man. And the critical questions that we need to know about man are, where do we come from? What is our condition? And what is the remedy? These are the, the questions that, every, again, every human struggles with these questions. They've asked themselves in some way. Where do I come from? What is my condition? And what is the remedy? Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, Moses, who I note is a herder of sheep, uh, says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so this shepherd uh, happens to be uh, the person that God chose to reveal many of these things that we need to know about ourselves, where we came from, what our condition is, and he begins to point the way to the remedy. And, of course, the place to start looking, and you guys are going to be very surprised by this, for the information that we need is the Bible, right? I, this, at any children's Sunday school, you would have gotten the answer, uh, it's either Jesus or the Word of God, right? Um, but it's, it's still worth contemplating, and it's kind of profound to think about how it works in our minds. And, and to think about this, the Bible is our memory. And again, I'm using the word memory in a bigger than... It means everything you, you think of with memory, but also facts, information, experiences, taste, sounds, feelings, sights, smells, and, and more... Uh, I had defined a little bit earlier. The Bible is our memory. It is our objective memory. It is our true memory. Uh, And it's not our individual memory. It's our collective memory. And so when when we... Sometimes you'll hear people say things like, I just want to see someone healed of their disease. It's there. In the Bible, it, it really happened, and it's your vicarious experience. It is your memory, and it answers that, that call in your heart that, uh, that you would be able to, to experience those things. Or Moses wants to see the face of God. And we're told in the New Testament, if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. As we look into the Scriptures... We see Jesus, and we see the Father. This is, the Bible is our memory. All right, so beyond that big picture idea of it being the memory, it actually provides these individual memories, these facts, these pieces of information, these experiences that, that create the building blocks for how we think, how we know and then it also provides the categories, right? So when I tend to think of the categories the scripture provides, there's many that we could go through, but an easy example would be the way that the Apostle Paul deals with human groups, right? And he does, and of course, what does he say? He says, uh, black people and white people and red people. No, that's not what he says, right? He says, he says people that speak Spanish or English, or that's not what he says either, or where they come from. He says, you've got fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and slaves, right? Those are the biblical categories. And notice students isn't in there. I just, you know, I mentioned. Uh, Okay. Disciples, okay, all right. Okay, maybe a secondary category. We'll see. Okay. Um, okay. So, the, but the Bible is providing what is missing. The Holy Spirit uses Scripture 
to provide the missing memories and the missing names and categories to uncover those that are deeply buried inside of us, right? Maybe they are already there, but they're, they're not going to be recovered unless the Holy Spirit works in us uh, through the instrumentality of the scriptures or the preaching of the scriptures. It corrects what is in error, and it also guides us, as we'll see more next week, in how that turns from knowing into doing. We're not just hearers, but doers. And we're living. Scripture provides the education that is needed for the mind. Education, we talked about a Latin word before. Uh, Cogitate, education comes from the Latin as well. And it means to bring into the light. And that's why in Psalm 18.28, or vice versa... It means that because Psalm 28 says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. And that's why Augustine, one of the most repeated uh, phrases he uses in the Confessions, are the words of David in Psalm 36.9, In your light I see light. Education. We're being brought into the light by Scripture, by God, through Scripture. Okay, so, a closing, closing thoughts on that before we transition to what will be next week's topic. Uh, words, obviously, are critical to memory. And God has chosen to disclose himself primarily uh, in words, at least for the ages. Uh, That's why Jesus is also called the Word of God. And the Word was in the beginning with God, right? Words are a critical piece of that. It's what separates us from the animals. So I think we're on solid ground to think about the way God made us and words is unique and important. I also note just thematically that the words, the memories of Scripture, are brought to you in large part by shepherds. Uh, and ultimately by the great shepherd. And now I'm going back to this idea that thinking and herding are a related concept, right? And so it's interesting that God has chosen shepherds to bring us the memories that need to be herded for us to think properly. And then I want to just note that Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Freedom of the Will, has a very interesting Uh, discussion of what it was for Jesus to be in human nature, to have a human nature, and how knowledge would have worked for him. And so this is just kind of a, for you to contemplate, maybe, maybe it'll even entice you to go and read The Freedom of the Will. It's a quick, easy read. Um, And, uh, but, but he contemplates what what probably many of you have contemplated. You hold your first baby in your arms and you stare into their eyes and their eyes are moving around and you're like, how do they ever make sense of anything in the world? How do they make those connections? This is, it's just amazing. And you watch it happen and you can't deny it, but it's kind of mysterious. And Augustine explained it a little bit, but it's really, it's really uh, difficult to understand. And Jonathan Edwards says, you know, there was Jesus. He's 100% man. He's a human nature. He's blinking up at his parents. Did he know that he was the Messiah? 
He did not know that he was the Messiah. He grew in stature and in favor in the sight of man and of God. He grew in wisdom. And Jonathan Edwards thinks through that in in kind of a mind-blowing way of how Jesus became aware of who he was. And we know that Jesus was conversant with the scriptures, I mean, a master of the scriptures. We know, too, the critical piece is that his mind wasn't affected by sin. His memory and ability to call up things, to to know what was in his mind and what was in scripture and in the world around him, was uh, completely unaffected by sin. So that every time he was introduced to any kind of information, he could process it 100% correctly. He could also remember it, right? And so Jonathan Edwards just goes through this amazing conversation of how Jesus would have, in his human nature, through the light of the Holy Spirit and the instrumentality of Scripture, become aware that he was the Messiah. And uh, it's just a kind of a fun thing to think about. And so I commend the book to you. Uh, and we'll close there. But, but just keep in mind, this is the foundation for next uh, week because we're transitioning from that knowledge to that awareness of a moral agent of who they are and what their purpose is. And knowledge transitions to moral action. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way that it corrects our misguided thinking and builds us up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. We pray this would be true in our lives and that we would not neglect your word, but that we would be the people of your word who meditate on it, day and night. In Jesus' name, amen.